again. Hasn't he always come through for you? Can I get an amen? amen? I'm thankful. Praise the Lord. Would you open your precious Bible this morning to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 26? And we're just continuing, going right on now. We're studying the life of David on Sundays. Last Sunday morning I did not preach on David because it really wasn't a Sunday morning message. I preached on Sunday night in chapter 25. And now we're in chapter 26. And uh, we are looking, going right through. And so if you, uh, this is your first message that you're listening to about the life of David, you can go online to our Facebook page, our YouTube page, even our sermon audio page. You can go back and listen to the whole series. And so I'll try not to do too much review, uh, but we're just going right chapter by chapter. And of course, we've already went through the life where David has been anointed king and He's running like an animal from Saul. He's not reigning yet. He's still a fugitive. Uh, but prior to that, uh, we know that he killed Goliath. And uh, the people started singing their praises to David. And uh, he had killed his tens of thousands. And it, it made the king Saul jealous. And Saul started to try to kill him. And he's been hunting him. And that's where we are. And uh, we've looked at uh, the week before last. We found him in a cave. Uh, Saul and his men had come seeking David's life and he did not realize that David was in the cave. And when Saul went into the cave, David could have took his life, but David spared his life. And so we preached a message and all of that on that Sunday. And then last week we preached in chapter 25. And now this week we're going to spend this morning on the first part of chapter 26. And then tonight uh, we're going to look at uh, a latter part of the passage of scripture. And we're going to look at... um, Saul's epitaph tonight. Uh, he made a statement to David that was really the, su- the summation of, of Saul's life. And here it is. We'll read it in a moment. But he said, I have played the fool. I have played the fool. Out of Saul's own mouth later tonight, we're going to preach that message on he played the fool. And by the way, I want to give some encouraging warning on how for us not to play the fool. But this morning I want to look at the beginning of this passage. And so if you'll bear with me, to get context, let's read the whole chapter. And let's let the Bible come to life. Now, just don't listen to me read it. I want you to put yourself there. And uh, David's running for his life. Saul is coming to kill him. And so let's look and see how this true event unfolds. Look at verse 1. And the Ziphites came unto Saul to Gibeah. Saying, Doth not David hide himself in the hill of Hikaliah, which is before Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having three thousand chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul pitched in the hill of Hikaliah, which is before Jeshimon, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. And David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed. And David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched. And David beheld the place where Saul lay and Abner the son of Ner, the captain of his host. And Saul lay in the trench and the people pitched round about him. Then answered David and said to Elimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zeruah, brother to Joab, saying... Who will go down with me to Saul to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with thee. So David and Abishai came to the people by night. And behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench. 
and his spear stuck in the ground at his bolster. But Abner and the people lay around about him. Now Abner was his chief of guards, the chief of his army. He was the one that was uh, supposed to be protecting the king. Abner was the general of, of, of Saul's army. The Bible says in verse 8, Then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear even to the earth at once. And I will not smite him the second time. Now that's interesting. Here Saul was asleep and his spear laying beside him or stuck in the ground beside him. And Abishai said, David, the Lord's given him into your hand. Let me take that spear. And he said, I'll only stick him once. He said, that's all it will take. He basically said, I'll do a clean job and we'll get up out of here. Notice how David responded to verse 9. And David said to Abishai, destroy him not. For who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him. Or his days shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. But I pray thee, take thou now the spear that is in his bolster and the cruise of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster and they gat them away and no man saw it nor knew it, neither awake. Notice this. For they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord was fallen upon them. Then David went over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill afar off, a great space being between them. And David cried to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner. Now remember, he's the captain of the host. He's Saul's bodyguard. He speaks to Abner first. He said, Answerest thou not, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who art thou that criest to the king? And David said to Abner, Art not thou a valiant man? And who is like to thee in Israel? Wherefore then hast thou not kept thy lord the king? For there came one the people to destroy the king thy lord. This thing is not good that thou hast done. As the Lord liveth, you are worthy to die, because ye have not kept your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is, and the cruise of water that was at his bolster. And Saul knew David's voice, and said, Is this thy voice? Notice the wording here. My son David. And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Wherefore doth my Lord thus pursue after his servant? For what have I done? Or what evil is in mine hand? Now therefore I pray thee, let my Lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the Lord hath stirred thee up against me, let him accept an offering. But if they be the children of men, cursed be that before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from abiding and the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go, serve other gods. Now therefore let not my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea as when one doth hunt a partridge in the mountains. Then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Behold the king's spear, and let one of the young men come over and fetch it. 
The Lord rendered every man his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered thee into my hand today, but I would not stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. And behold, as thy life was much set by this day in mine eyes, so let my life be much set by in the eyes of the Lord. And let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David. Thou shalt both do great things, and also shalt still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. Heavenly Father, I pray you'll speak to our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Very moving. If you've been following along and realizing what's taking place here, David loved Saul. David served Saul. David has spared Saul's life on many occasions. David did not go and kill the giant to get notary, uh, to be popular. David killed many years ago the, the giant Goliath because he was defying the armies of Israel. He said, is there not a cause? But because David done right, by the way, there's an application there. You're not always going to see good days because you do right. Many times you do right, there's going to be some consequences to doing right. But it's always right. It's always right. Right's right, wrong's wrong, sin is sin. No matter what happens, no matter what the world tells you, right is right. But I want you to notice, David was doing right, but because David did right, we see him now being hunted like an animal. We see, we went through all of the emotional struggles that David has went through. We, we followed him all the way from chapter 16 of this book. And we will continue to follow him on through his kingship, which will be taking place very soon. The sad thing is, this is the last conversation that Saul and David will ever have. In just a few days, Saul will be killed. And David will be anointed king as God promised. But I think this is interesting, this last communication that these two had. I want to bring out some things this morning that maybe you've never thought of. I've never thought of until I started to study this passage. This encounter is kind of like a deja vu. It's a little similar to a couple of chapters ago. Remember when I mentioned previous when Saul was coming to find David. He found that he was at En Gedi, so he came to En Gedi, and David was hiding in a cave. And unbeknownst to Saul, he went in to the cave not knowing David was there. All of his men said to David, kill him. God's given him into your hand. You won't have to run anymore. And we know that David spared Saul's life in the cave. But he did cut the corner of his cloak off. Now, just a few short days later, and again, David approached and spoke to Saul then. And we see that Saul had a change of heart for a very short period of time. But now we see him chasing David again. So now, this is a little different situation. David looks and sees, and he understands that uh, both times, the one in Gedi, and now, it looks like that God has given Saul into David's hand. But we see, as in this passage, is the same in the other passage, David was not confronted. He didn't really have a choice. When Saul came into the cave, he came into David's presence. But in this particular event, David chose to go down to his camp, risk his life to do what? I think that's interesting. 
I believe we find the answer to that at the end of this conversation that he had with Saul. Some of you might think, well, David was just trying to be a haughty man. He was just trying to be someone that was full of pride and wanted to show Saul that he could do something that Saul didn't think he could do. Maybe he wanted Saul to know that he could get the best of him. But I don't believe that's true because David had already proved that. David had him, and we know that it wasn't his goal to go and kill Saul because he didn't do it. He never purposed in his heart to go down to that camp to kill Saul. So why did he go? I think it's interesting, and we'll leave that to the end. But until we get there, I want you to notice as we look at this guiding principle here with, with David yet again, why did he not kill Saul. It's very clear and it's very simple and it's the first point that we must emphasize this morning. It was not God's will for him to do it. Do you know what I've learned in the Christian life? We like to play games with God's will. I've been in this long enough to where I've heard Christians tell me what God's will is and it's so contrary to what the Bible teaches. I think we can learn some great lessons here from the life of David because I'm going to tell you something right now. Every bit of his flesh was crying out to stop the pain and he could have killed it. Even his own man that said, hey, I'm willing to go down and risk my life with you, David. He even told him. He's like, David, kill him. I'll do it. I'll stick the spear in him. I'll do the job. If that would have been me, I says, get after it, boy. In my flesh, I'd have said, hey, I won't have to run no more. I won't have all this trouble. I won't have to run around like an animal anymore. My problem, one of my problems will cease. Go ahead, Abishai. Stick him into the ground. Make sure you get him good. David didn't do that. And here's why. He said it very clearly. Are y'all ready? This is not God's will. You know why I know he said this isn't God's will? Here's what he said. The Lord forbid me to do it. You know what? The Lord's forbid us to do a lot of stuff too. Right there's where y'all can say Amen. See, we want to pray to Christian life like, oh, God's a God of love. And, oh, he's a God of love. By the way, he is a God of love. But I'm going to tell you right now, God's a God of don't. The Lord forbids us to do things. And here's what I want to say to all of you. Why? Is he just an old, powerful God up there wanting to show us that he can tell us what to do? No, you know what's amazing? He loves us. And he forbids us to do things for our best because he loves us. You know what? When you talk to teenagers, you ever, I tell you what, I can't wait till I get 18 because I don't want, nobody's going to tell me what to do anymore. I said, well, wait till you get married. (laughs) Somebody say amen. (laughs) My wife said it the loudest. You know, them teenagers are like, oh, I tell you what, I can't wait. Nobody's going to be my boss. You're a fool. The Bible says that reproof is a way of life. The more you stiffen your neck, the more God has to get stiffer with you. But why does he do that? I, I, I sometimes look at, um, we, uh, we have a new demon in our house. 
It's, it's white with black polka dots. His name is called Domino. He is a Dalmatian puppy. And we have this whole big yard with a fence. He, he can go out there anytime he wants. We have a doggy door and, and he can go out there anytime. And he's big. He's, I'm told that he's going to get 45, 50 pounds. And here's what's amazing to me. He's scared to go outside. He's 20 pounds now and he's scared to go outside in the yard by himself. But I've noticed something about him. When someone comes around the fence or he doesn't know, he barks at him. But you know what amazes me? Our neighbor just wants to touch him. Our neighbor just wants to pet him. And, he, and Laura told me yesterday, he said, boy, he got this close to him yesterday, but Domino took off. And here's what's amazing. If someone shows up the Domino don't, he's out there barking. But boy, as soon as they approach that fence, man, a 20-pound dog... Takes, I mean, I've never seen a dog run as fast as I've ever seen. And I mean, he shot through that doggy door and got in that house. And I thought, dear God, we got a chicken for a dog. (laughs) And here's what's amazing to me. Here's what's amazing. That dog is safe in the fence. Now, I'm going somewhere. I'm not just telling a cute dog about a demon. A cute story about a demon. There's a point here. We act just like that dog. Now he might bark like he wants to get out that fence. But when the really the truth is, where's my little Dalmatian safe at? He's safe in the fence. Where are you safe? In the will of God. In the fence. See, we say, oh, I tell you what, I don't like all them rules and I don't like all them barriers and I don't like all them fences in the Christian life. You're safe in the fence. You're in danger when you get out of the protection of the fence of God's will. I hear teenagers all the time, even adults. I tell you right now, I don't want to be a Christian because there's too many don'ts and there's too many things. You better be glad for the don'ts. I I know Domino's glad for the fence, but he acts like he's not. You're thankful for the fence when you get out outside the fence and you realize the danger you're in. The life that you mess up. See, God tells us He forbids things for our best, not for our hurt. Get a hold of that. He forbids things for our best, not for our worst. I've heard people say, I'll tell you what, if you become a Christian, you're going to miss out on a lot of things. You sure are. You're going to miss out on heartache. You're going to miss out on heartbreak. You're going to miss out on a bunch of stuff if you stay in the will of God. So it's very clear. Make choices that reflect God's will. That's what David did. How about we all just determine this morning, no matter where you are, who you are, where you are in life, how about you start determining to make choices in your life that lines up with God's will? Can I talk to every husband here just a second? Do you really want to be a blessing to your wife? Then you start choosing decision and making decisions that lines up with God's will. You want mamas here? You want to be a blessing to your children? Let me help you. Then you start lining up and making choices that reflect God's will. By the way, Every bit of David's flesh said, stick him, boy. But he said, we can't do that. Well, why not? Abishai said, what? We came all the way down here and hazarded my life 
to take a spear and a bottle of water? He said, yeah, he said, we can't kill him because the Lord forbids. Here it is. Now, here's the point. It's very simple but very powerful. Make choices that reflect God's will. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Are you making choices right now in your life that is, is reflecting God's will? See, this sermon is not going to help a soul if it doesn't change us. If we walk out of this building and say, oh, that was a good sermon, that preacher made me laugh, then I've failed. The Holy Spirit does the work, but here it is. I can stop right here. Are you making choices that reflect God's will? Are you doing things that God clearly forbids? By the way, it's a natural impulse of all of us. Our flesh loves to do what God tells us not to do. There's pleasure in sin. I ain't going to lie to you for a season. All of us have went down that trap. Oh, I can guarantee you right now, David would have been happy for a few minutes sticking that if he'd have let Abishai. He said, man, I didn't even have to do it. Abishai can do it. Abishai done it. I'm sure David would have said, whew, man, I feel relieved. That feels good. I don't have to hide tonight. He said, no, we can't do it no matter what it feels like because the Lord forbids by the way it's a natural impulse of all of us David had six reasons to kill him <laughs> six I, I numbered them I, I, I listed them down here I just I've studied this whole chapter and I've tried to break it down to make it so applicable to all of us because there's some people here that like to debate there's some people here that like to analyze and by the way I think we ought to analyze everything But David had six reasons to kill Saul that night. He had more reasons to do it than not do it as far as numerical reasons. Number one, Saul was guilty one. (laughs) David ain't done nothing. Saul was the one coming there to kill him. David was the victim. Number two, he has good opportunity to do it. It's right there. He's asleep and the Lord's put him to sleep. So he had the doors open. If that would have been us Christians, wow, look at the door the Lord opened. That's what we just said. Wow. Because we like to do that. We say, oh, look at the door that the Lord opened. No. He knew that, no, it, God forbids. Hey, I want to tell you something else. He had the weapon there. He didn't have to do anything. The weapon was right there. He just had to pick it up and slam it in him. That was it. Quick, simple, fast. That's the third reason. Hey, the fourth reason, he has the man to do it. He didn't even have to do it. There was a man that done volunteered and said, hey, David, I'll do it for you. The fifth reason they had to do it is that he had support of every one of his comrades. Every one of the men that he was leading, they'd have been happy if Abishai would have killed him. And lastly, this was simple, but he had a pretty high chance of killing him. His odds was pretty good. He was asleep and the sword was there and Abishai even said, I'll stick him. And you know what he said there? He said, I'll stick him so hard, I'll go plumb through him, and and the spears will go in the ground. And he said, I'll kill him quickly. I just recently saved up and bought a crossbow. I love shooting bow, but I said, there are some certain situations it would be helpful to have a crossbow. So I went and bought it. And you said, well, Pastor, what have you been doing? Well, I've shot it a few times to try to make sure that my success of killing a deer would be a little more. But let me just tell you how successful this was. He didn't have to practice. The sword was there. The spear was there. He just had to pick it up and slam it in. 
it was over. Everything in David's body screamed, just do it. But that's everything that comes out of us too from our flesh and our feelings. See, Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 says this, Walk in the Spirit, ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Can I ask you all a question this morning? Are you walking in the Spirit? I'll never forget a uh, great preacher, great preacher. His name is uh, sung in that bluegrass, uh, his daughters and uh, Brian McBride. Brian McBride, i never forget. I was at a revival meeting. Brian McBride was preaching, and he was preaching on being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And have, any of you, have any of y'all ever been to an ordination service of a pastor or deacons? Have any of y'all ever been to one of them? Them things could be a nightmare. Somebody say Amen. And uh, they were ordaining Brian McBride. And he was telling the story. He said, man, I was sitting there. He said, I was ready for all their questions. He said, about that time, one of them old nosy deacons looked at him and said, ah, tell us what you feel and believe about being filled with the Spirit of God. And Brian McBride said, man, I started a waxing eloquent man and I started giving scripture what it meant to walk in the Spirit and to be filled with the Spirit of God. About that time, that old deacon with uh, bibbed overalls on looked at him and said, well, Sonny, that's good and all, but here's my question. Are you filled with him now? Good question all y'all. You walking in the Spirit As a Christian, I mean, if you're a born-again believer, shouldn't we all be walking in the Spirit? Shouldn't we be making choices that are reflecting God's will, not the opposite? We found out something here. In chapter 26, 9 through 11, David clearly said, the Lord forbid that I kill him. You know what that tells me? He was in tune with the Lord. Because everybody around him was saying, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. He says, no, I'm going to listen to the Lord. By the way, here's the application. Are you in tune with the Lord? You know what I've learned? Not all advice is good advice. And boy, we love to go and tell people and get people's, but I'm going to tell you who's the safest person that you can get advice from is the Lord. He said, the Lord forbid it. You know what? We know that Saul, this was not David's goal was killing Saul. We know that. There's two reasons why we know that he did not. Number one, here's what he told. Here's what he told me. He said, number one, it's not my place. Abishai, he said, it's not my place. He said, who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and not be guiltless? He said, in other words, nobody can do that. So he gave Abishai the reason. He said, even if Saul is wrong, even if Saul is ungodly, he said, it's not my place to do this. By the way, that's pretty good living for us too. It's not our place. When we want to get revenge, listen to me, it's not your place. It's not my place. Then he said this, it's not the right time. He said, the Lord shall smite him or his day shall come to die. He shall descend about. In other words, he said, look, the Lord's timing will take care of this. He said, the Lord will smite him and kill him or he'll go into battle and the Lord will let him die. In other words, he said, it's not my place and it's not my time. It's the Lord's time. Here's the great application here. Leave all that stuff to God if somebody's harmed you. 
I tell you right now, it's going to be my life's goal to get even with somebody. Well, then you're going to be miserable. Leave it to God. Let Him have it. God knows the right time. God knows the right place. He's the right person to take care of that. Instead, David asked Abishai, here's what he said. I don't want you to kill him. He said, I want you to take his spear and I want you to take his bottle of water. His canteen of water. Now, I can imagine. I can see Abishai now. What? You're telling me we risk our life to come down here into this camp and all we're going to take is his spear bottle of water? He said, yep. Now, I want to ask you all a question. Why do you think David took such a risk when killing Saul was not his goal to go down into that camp? We're going to end the message that way. I want you to think. Why did he do it? Because it's the whole point of the message. Why did he do that? Why did he go down, risk him and Abishai's life, go down there where they were sleeping just to steal his, take a spirit? And by the way, he gave it back to him. So he didn't steal it. He didn't take it. He just took it and got up over on the other side of the hill. And after he got to a safe place, he yelled back and he had a conversation. There's why. We're going to look at it at the end. I want you to know David has something else in mind. And I'll speak about more of that in a moment. But he ran up the hill. He took that thing. Here's what the Bible says. He ran. They were down in the holler. Y'all from West Virginia, it's a holler. It ain't a valley. Y'all quit saying valleys. It's hollers and benches and cricks and ridges. And I've heard somebody say, oh, he was down in the valley. I said, oh. Y'all, y'all learn new grammar today. It's a holler. That's down there where the creek is. You know, you got the two sides, you got two ridges, but you got that big holler. So he was down in the holler, and here's what happened. David went back up on the other side. And here, and what he did, he yelled down there. He said, hey, Abner. He called out Abner because Abner was the bodyguard. He was the chief of hosts. And basically, I'm going to paraphrase it. He said, you're a lousy guard. And by the way, it should have costed Abner his life. And just a little bit of ironic, a little bit of irony here. Here's what's amazing. <laughs> this is really sad. Saul is chasing the only man that would have really protected him. The one that really loved him and would have protected him and proven that he would have protected him, he's trying to kill him. But he hollers down there and I paraphrase, he said, Abner, you're pretty much a lousy guard. You've been sleeping and someone could have killed your king. Your death should be required because you failed at your job. He said, and to prove that, I want you to look and see if you can find his spear and find his water jug. It's not there. I have it to prove to you that I could have killed your king. Here it is. The climax of this whole chapter. Why did he do all that? Why did he do all that? He wanted one more chance to try to talk to someone and make it right. And it amazes me how in the Christian life and in many people, maybe even in this building, you can't even make it right with a sister, with a brother, with a mom, with a dad, with an aunt, 
or an uncle. Yet David risked his life to go down to have one more conversation. The risk of his life just to let Saul know, I want you to know, Saul, I still love you. Some things that we can pull out of this, it's amazing to me. David wanted to talk to Saul. He basically says to him, what have I done? What have I done? What have I done that's caused you to be so angry with me that you want to take my life? Here's another amazing thing that I see the character of David. You know what David does right here? Here's what he said. I don't know if you understood that passage there. But when he said there in chapter 26, when he said in verse 19, Now therefore I pray thee, let my Lord and King hear the words of his servant. If the Lord have stirred thee up against me, let him accept an offering. Here's what he basically said. David's trying to think about this thing in such a way. He said, look, if the Lord's using you in my life that I've done something wrong, I want to make it right. God, help us that we have a group of people today that lives like that. No, all we want to do is get even or get our word. Where are the Davids that say, listen, God could be doing this in my life to get a hold of my attention and I want to make it right. I want you to know I try. If there's ever any type of conflict or I think there is conflict between me and someone else, I promise you, if I have the opportunity, I will write you a letter, I will send you a text, I will call you. I will make sure that if something is there, I give me an opportunity to make it right. I told you this years ago. There was a man that got very upset with me downstairs. I mean, he let me have it, boy. I mean, let me have it. You say, Pastor, why are you saying that? Because I think people need to know that it's all not all peaches and cream in the ministry. I mean, let me have it, boy. I mean, and in front of a bunch of people too, boy. And he threw his key in my hand and took off. And, I, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm just like you. I had feelings. I thought, man, I'll tell you right now. But you know what I did? I Finally, the Lord got a hold of my heart. You know what I did? I called that man the next day. And here's what I said. I said, listen. I said, I am so sorry. I said, I hate you feel that way. I said, but look, we're going to be in heaven together. He didn't know what to do. I said, I I know you probably don't need to come back to church here and I understand all that, but I said, I just want you to know, me and you are going to spend heaven together. And I said, if I see you in Walmart, I'm not going to avoid you. We're going to talk like we're two Christian brothers that's going to spend... He didn't know what to say. He didn't know what to do. He was expecting a fight on the phone, but he got something different. And by the way, I wish I've always responded that way, but I'm glad David said, if there's something in my life that has caused this, let me make it right. Can I ask y'all a question? How many of y'all having some issues with somebody? Have you ever thought it might be you? Oh, can't be me. Oh, just wait. Could be. Are we spiritual enough to say, hey, if it's me, I'm sorry? That's big stuff right there. 
It's good stuff, though. I'm going to tell you what it's going to take. It's going to take some spiritualness, and you're going to have to be yielded to the Lord because your flesh is going to not want to do it. Can I just say quickly as I close, you've got to trust God for the unknown. It's simple. Here's what David said to him. He said, I don't have all the answers. Why? One thing David is sure about, though, in verse 23, here's what he said in verse 23 of 26. He said, the Lord rendered to every man his righteousness and his faithfulness, for the Lord delivered thee into thy hand today. He said, look, I don't know what's going to happen to you, Saul, but he said, I'm not your enemy, and I'm going to trust God for the unknown. And one thing is clear, he did. David stayed righteous, and he stayed faithful to God. He did not take matters into his own hands. He let God be God. David's trust in God makes all the difference. He waits for God to work out his plan, even if it means running for his life. Look, there's going to be some unknowns in your life. You've already had some unknowns. We're going to wake up tomorrow to some unknowns. What are you going to do about them? Some people are in insane asylums today because they're worried about the unknowns of life. The world is a full stream, high anxiety today because we're worried about the unknowns. David made it very clear. He said, look, I don't know about tomorrow, but here's what he said basically. But I know the one who holds tomorrow. I'm going to trust the one that holds tomorrow. I don't know all of the unknowns. He said, I'm going to leave this in the Lord's hand. And I'm going to tell you right now, David was able to go home and get some sleep. David was moved. Saul was moved by David's kindness. Now here's what's sad. I don't know. We know that Saul dies in just a few days. This is the very last. So really we don't know, but he did say, and here's what I love, Saul called his name, he called him son. It's like this conversation finally got to the heart of Saul. And Saul said, son, you're my son. He said, I'm not going to bother you anymore. The Lord's going to do good unto you. He said, here's what he said. He said, I've erred. Saul said, I've played the fool. More about that tonight. But this was unlike chapter 24 when Saul stepped into the cave by chance, sneaking to the camp was deliberate and planned. But this one, why did David go down into the camp, risk his life, and he wasn't going to kill him? He wanted to talk to him. I close. David had something from his heart that he wanted to share. And it was powerful. You know what he basically said in this little speech that he gave King Saul when he was standing over on the side of the other ridge? You know what he told him? Y'all ready? He said, I love you, Saul. I valued your life today. He said, you're worth something to me. He said, I know you're my enemy and you've been trying to kill me, but I want you to know I don't have anything against you. I'm not trying to kill you back. I want you to know I want this to stop and I would love for you to know that I love you and I have no ill will towards you. Did Saul get it? Can't really know for sure. Because like I said, in a few days, he's killed by the Philistines. Him and Jonathan are slain, the son. Now, we do know that the next chapter we're going to look at it, Saul goes and speaks to a witch and pulls up the dead. 
So we know that Saul's not learned some lessons, but we know that he never chased David again. But to be fair, don't know if he had time to. But you know what? This is the whole message of the story. This is amazing to me. David loved his enemy. And you know what that reminds me of? You know what that reminds me of? I was in enmity with God. Romans chapter 10. For some reason, that verse is completely going blank in my heart and mind right now. While I was a sinner, Christ did what for me? Died for me. While I was his enemy, he died for me. While he wasn't on my mind, I was on his mind. When I didn't care anything about my life and my choices... He cared everything about my life and my choices. When I was trying to do everything to get away from Him, He was trying to do everything to get me to Him. Can I say, sometimes people think, oh, well, so-and-so just invited me to church. Do you know that it could be much more than that? It could be a heavenly God trying to get a hold of your attention. See, God just doesn't happen stance. God has a plan. God has a will. God has a perfect plan for you. He loves you. You say, Pastor Mark, you don't know what I've done. Look at me. I don't care what you've done. And more important than what I care what you've done, I'm going to tell you this. God don't care what you've done. He died for it. He will deliver you from your sin. And I promise you this. He will set your feet up on a solid rock because He loves you. This right here is a beautiful picture of Christ's love. David showing an enemy that he loved him. And I think of this every day. I was at enmity with God, yet He still loves me. Where are you at today? Are you saved? That's important. I didn't ask if you had religion. I didn't ask if you went to church. Didn't ask if you got baptized. Didn't ask if you've kept the Ten Commandments. That doesn't mean anything. Jesus Christ came to this earth and He he was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He went to an old rugged cross and He raised from that dead once He was laid in that tomb for one reason, to save sinners. And all of us are sinners. By choice and by nature. And our sin has to be paid for. But I thank God He paid for my sin in full. And He paid for yours too. Now will you accept His gift? Will you accept His gift? How many of y'all like buffet? You know, they used to be more important, more popular than they are now. How many of y'all like buffet style eating? Y'all like that? few of you, not as many. I know. You say, I ain't going to go in that buffet. People, I get you. Man, there was a time, man. Give me a buffet, boy. And you know what made that buffet even better? Is if I walked in there and looked at that whole buffet, and man, I seen all, you know, if you was at the beach, you know, you had crab legs, you had all that stuff in there, man, one price, you know, you got, I'm like, man, look at that. I better, 
right there. You know, I get worried when them people go in them jogging pants and them all-you-can-eat buffets, man. I say, he's getting ready to go to work. And you know it's bad when you're at a Chinese restaurant and they say all-you-can-eat buffet on them crab legs and they start taking your plates and instruments from you. Amen. So you've had too much. But you know what makes them buffets even better? You say all you need. They're all available to you, Brother Don, when you walked in there. But you know what's amazing? Every once in a while, I've walked in there, and you know, you eat first and you have to pay later. And I've been sitting there at that table, and about that time, the waitress will come up to me and say, you bill is paid. Huh? Someone took care of your bill. Really? Yes. You know what? Somebody paid my price. And I got to enjoy everything there at no cost. I didn't say that it wasn't expensive. Someone paid the bill. God paid your bill with Jesus Christ. You'd be a fool not to accept Him. God help us. Amen. That's the close of the story. You say, Pastor, you don't understand I'm an enemy. That's okay, He loves you anyway. You say, Pastor, you don't understand what I've done. Doesn't matter. He loves you anyway. He died for you anyway. He wants to set you free. Let him do it. Amen. Accept his gift of salvation. You say, oh, Pastor Mark, I don't go down to no church and go down in the front. That's the most embarrassing thing in the world. No, it's not. If you come down and get saved today, you'll have a group full of people excited and shouting the house down. So I pray today you'll let the Lord have his way. Let's stand to our feet. Would you be honest? There's been a lot said. Tonight we're going to look at I played the fool. I, I hope nobody here is playing the fool. Be back tonight. But this morning. Can I ask you, have you accepted the perfect gift of salvation? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? It's the most important decision you'll ever make. With head bowed and eyes closed, can I just ask, and we're going to give the invitation, but can I just ask quickly, You say, Pastor Mark, I I am thankful. I know that I was an enmity with God. I know that I don't deserve it. But there was a time in my life that I know I've trusted Christ as my Savior. And I know, it's a no-so for me that I'm saved. I don't deserve it, but I thank God He saved me. You just, by way of testimony, would you lift your hand and say, that's me. I thank God that He saved me and I've had a time in my life that I trust Him. That's wonderful. But now let me ask. You say, Pastor Mark, I couldn't raise my hand. I don't know for sure. Well, look, you're in a good place. Let someone take the Bible and show you today how you can be saved. And you don't have to worry about it anymore. The Lord will help you. He'll give you assurance of salvation. I promise you. So can I ask this question this morning? Say, Pastor Mark, that's me. I don't know for sure if I die, I'm going to heaven. But boy, would you pray for me, Pastor Mark? Would you just slip your hand up where I can see? Is there anyone like that this morning? Anyone like that this morning? God bless you. I see that hand. Now look, I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to keep my promise. I I don't want anybody to feel embarrassed, but I'm just going to ask if you raise your hand, I promise you, if you'll come see me after service, I promise you we'll take the Bible and show you how to be saved. Don't let this moment pass. Let me talk to you. The greatest day that ever took place in my life was when I trusted Christ as my Savior. So I want to extend that invitation to you. Maybe even now as the piano starts to play if you'd like to come. If someone else, maybe uh, you've been praying for someone. 
I told the class downstairs that we need to really be recruiting people for the Sunday school classes. Can I say to all of you that are attending this service, we have great Sunday school classes. Be a part of them. Get up a little early and come on to class. I promise you, it would be helpful for you. But if you raise your hand, I've seen that hand. I'm not. I want you to come to me after church, please. Just make your way up here, and I promise you, we'll take the Bible and we'll show you how to be saved. I promise you, it won't be my words. It won't be my thoughts. It will come straight from the Bible. I'm going to pray and we'll be dismissed if you'd like to be. I hope our church folks will look around and find some visitors and just let them know how good it is to see them today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. I pray today that you'll help all of us to do your will. Lord, I pray you'll help us to make choices that that would reflect your will, not the world's, yours. Lord, help us to trust you with the unknowns of life. Lord, if there's someone here, they do not know you as their personal Savior, I pray you'll help them now. They need you, and you'll save them today. I pray you'll draw them. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen, and all God's people say it. Real quick, Brother Chris, would you turn that off just for a second?